0: Jose Altuve and Kyle Tucker are as hot as a Houston afternoon, but the Rangers are rolling and don't look now, but a familiar foe is in the rear view. It's episode 36 of Stone Cold Strohs, and it starts right now. Welcome into Stone Cold Strohs. I'm Brandon Strange, joined by Charlie Palolo and SportsMap.com's Josh Jordan. Follow them at Palillo and at Josh Jordan 975 on the platform formerly known as Twitter. It's now X. I don't even know how to say that now. And be sure to hit like on this video, subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. And if you're not watching or listening to sports map content, make sure you're listening to ESPN 97.5 or 92.5 on your radio dial in Houston. Charlie, we always highlight a player who wore the same number as the episode. It's not a ton of options at 36, a couple stand out. I'm going to take a wild guess that you're not going to go with Russ Springer.
1: That is correct. I'll give a quick tip of the cap to Will Harris, but we're going with Joe Necro. uh, Nuxie, the winningest pitcher in Astros franchise history, not Nolan Ryan, not Roy Oswalt, who's just one win behind. Joe Necro with 144 wins, pitched one of the great games in Astros history. First time they ever made the playoffs was 1980, last weekend of the regular season. Astros went to Los Angeles with a three-game lead over the Dodgers. The Dodgers swept them three games straight. Dead heat after 162 games, one-game playoff uh, necessitated. Necro was brilliant. Astros won the game 4-1 to go into the postseason. Uh, A quick Jim Deshays story. Read Joe Necro. It was a different time back in the 80s. When men were men, when pitchers routinely went seven, eight, or, hey, I'm going to finish what I start and go all nine innings. Uh, Deshaze during a Cubs telecast a couple weeks ago, regaled with this one. Uh, At the end of a Necro start, there would be nine little puddles of soda in the Astros' dugout, at least when Necro went all nine innings, because when Nuxie would come to the dugout, he'd light up a butt there in the dugout, and when he went back to the mound, he'd put it out in a little puddle of soda, one different puddle for each inning of the game. Things we won't see in 2023 and beyond. But Joe Necro, our 36 honoree. And yeah, we're getting more challenged going forward with these higher
0: numbers. But Joe Necro, completely worthy. Good stuff. Well, guys, let's get into it because we have a smoking hot division race. See what I did there? Like we said at the beginning, uh, Jose Altuve, Kyle Tucker, just absolutely mashing right now. The Astros are winning series, but the Rangers are too. And don't look now, but the Mariners are 8-2 and two in their last 10. So the schedule favors the Astros here the rest of the way. But the Mariners, this late-season push here, how much more important now does it mean for the Astros to try to wrestle away the division lead from Texas?
1: Oh, look, it's it's massive, right? You have a two-front war. The Astros are looking ahead, thinking, real, in the Rangers, win the division, be the second seed in the American League, don't have to deal with that shotgun round, best out of three wild card. A lousy team can beat a great team two out of three, so you'll want to avoid that, certainly, if you can. Uh, but the great pitcher, Satchel Paige, said, don't look behind you because something might be gaining on you. That's the Mariners, relatively speaking. The Astros are 18-10 and 10 since the All-Star break. That's wonderful. Well, they've lost ground to the Rangers since the All-Star break. The Mariners, piping hot recently till the Orioles uh, cooled them off for a couple of days because what the Orioles generally do. The Astros winning two out of three there was strong, even though they couldn't get the sweep, just as they couldn't quite get the sweep against the Angels. But over these next three weeks, the Mariners are poised to maybe catch either the Astros or the Rangers. If the Rangers uh, just keep playing the way they're playing, you know they have the two and a half game cushion over the Astros, the Mariners are four further games behind them. Uh, but the Mariners have beaten the Astros five out of seven to this point. So this weekend, right, Seattle comes in and wins two out of three. The Mariners wrap up the tiebreaker over the Astros, along with gaining ground on them in the race. And you alluded to the schedule. It favors the Astros absolutely overall relative to the Rangers the rest of the way. I noted this in the column the other day. There are nine basically crapola teams in Major League Baseball, defining that as if you're 10 games under 500 or worse, you stink. There are nine such teams, A's, Royals, so on. The Rangers now only have six games remaining against those not-so-nifty nine. The Astros have 12 games remaining against those nine teams combined. The Mariners have 19 games against the Dregs and a whole bunch of those are over the next 3 weeks. Right, the Mariners are here for 3 games this weekend. The 13 games around those Astros games, the Royals 7 times, the White Sox 3 times, the Mets 3 times, and there's one other series in there. Sixteen of their next 19 games are against lousy teams. So the Mariners stay generally hot. Uh the Astros are gonna have some company tucked in right behind the Rangers here sooner than later. Big, big series this weekend.
2: Yeah. You know, when you look at the stats, the team stats for the season, Astros really nice. You know, third in team ERA. You know who's in front of them? The Mariners. So that's what's tough. That they're at number one right now, and then the Blue Jays follow them. So that's been the Astros calling card is the pitching and the Mariners are doing that even better than the Astros at this point in the season, which kind of makes me want to point out, I'm tired of these possible sweep opportunities and I don't feel like they're, they're putting their best lineup out there. that has been a typical, you know, criticism of dusty, maybe the best lineup's not out there, but it seems like if they win the first two games of the series, that last game, you're going to see Greg Kessinger and, you know, some of the guys where you're like, what are you doing? Why not try out, go get that sweep. it's that whole thing that granado has been talking about. It just feels like Dusty's not managing with the urgency that we would hope at this point in the season.
1: I mean, there is a balance for the manager. You're playing the long game. Day game after a night game, you're typically not going to go with the same catcher, unless sometimes it's Maldi, just just because. Um, and, you know, sitting, paying you for a day for Dubon, it's not like you're dropping prime Cal Ripken for, uh, for a, a backup. Um, Abreu's injury... Right, pretty nebulous, some lumbar inflammation. That's not an injury. That's kind of easy to make up if you're saying, you know, we need to just shut this guy down for a few days and pump him with formaldehyde or something. Um, <laughs> so, Singleton gets his little window of opportunity. What can he make of it? I mean, Singleton's already drawn five walks. A Brave drew 31 in four and a half months. Um, so, you know, if you don't have your optimal lineup out there every day, that's understandable the rangers rest some guys too the orioles the mariners everyone else is going to do that but when you rarely have your optimal lineup out there because of just a couple of daffy decisions you keep on making well that's a delight not just for second guessers right plenty of people among us fans observers paying attention have been able to point to things all season saying dusty why what are you doing You know, not just because it's a day game after a night game where you can justify resting a guy or two.
0: It is interesting, though. It's it's like the story of the season has been uh, kind of guys being able to step up. You lose Jordan and Altuve, but then Chaz McCormick starts tearing the cover off of the ball. You get Jordan back, and now Chaz has kind of regressed a little bit. Granted, I know he's dealing with, I guess, a bruised knee or something along those lines. Jordan Alvarez, though, last seven games hitting 138. His slash line, is basically half of what Martin Maldonado's has been over the last seven games. Now, granted, Martin Maldonado has been hitting well. I and mean, He's hitting 304 over his last uh, seven games. So credit where that's due. And, and maybe that kind of speaks to kind of the, the balancing act that the Astros have been able to pull off so far this season. But it has been kind of they're walking a tightrope. They've needed these unexpected performances. Abreu goes down. John Singleton gets called up. A guy who we've said you can't really expect too much from. Charlie, I think your specific phrase for it last week in regards to Singleton was, you hope to run into something. Well, they seem to have run into something where a a guy who's way more patient at the plate uh, than Yiner Diaz and has a multi-home run game already under his belt. We'll see how long he can sustain that. The patience at the plate certainly bodes well for them going forward. It hasn't really seemed that the Astros have been able to get everybody right or everybody hot at the same time. They also haven't seemingly needed to get everybody hot at the same time. They scored, what, 22 runs in the first two games of the series without really Bregman or Jordan doing much. Uh, How confident are we that the Astros can get everybody hot at the same time at the right time?
1: Uh, I mean, if the right time is the postseason within a short stretch, that kind of stuff, magic can happen. But this just is not a super premium top-to-bottom lineup anymore. Uh, Singleton can give you more than a Abreu perhaps, but gee, we're setting a real high bar with that. Uh, And then whatever combination of Myers and Kessinger, Pena and Dubon and Maldi, that's a weak bottom third of the lineup when you go back to the Astros of 2017, 2019. Uh, so, you know, when you harken back in Astros history to lineups that had Adam Everett, Brad Osmus, and the pitcher batting seventh, eighth, and ninth, and you're getting somewhat similar production to that, you know, you're just, the Texas Rangers have much more depth to their lineup. And Brandon, you hit on the essence of what sample size is about, that for one week, hey, Maldives outperformed Yordan. Uh, Jordan's four for his last 32. If Alvarez hits 125 the rest of the season, I predict the Astros miss the playoffs entirely. Ah, there's no chance of that happening, just as there's no chance of Maldonado hitting 300 for the for the rest of the uh, season. So uh, the Astros, and Chats was just due to level off, in addition, if he has a little bit of a bruise problem. But you look at the Astros' lineup, one through five, pretty studly. I mean, Bregman's a little better than average, no better, but Altuve's been magnificent and the walks that he is drawing by the bucket load, right? His op- on-base percentage, well over 400 since he's returned. He's never walked like this in his career. Add that to a 315 batting average, and, well, that's how you get awesome. Uh, Jordan, you expect to, over time, be Jordan. Kyle Tucker's probably a top-five MVP guy now. And then you have Chaz, so there's your top five. But after that, it does largely fall off a cliff.
2: Yeah, it does. But to the point y'all just made Singleton, he doesn't have to be that great to be better than Abreu. He just has to not be one of the, maybe the fifth worst hitter in all of baseball. So we saw some great defense from him. Chandler Rome made the point that Dusty likes to put out his best defensive lineups, especially when Verlander and Fromber are pitching. Singleton was out there in that spot. He, You know, so they trust the defense. He looked pretty good. So I want to see him keep playing here. You know, we pulled up the stuff with Abreu. You know, before he... The injury came out. He went nine straight games without an RBI hitting in the middle of the Astros lineup. I mean, you just can't have that. I- anything would be better. So I'm curious to see what single Singleton can do over the next week or so. We'll see what happens with the Brayu. but you know, he complained about the back earlier in the year, but he's, he's not blaming his performance on the back. So I'm just curious to see what they're going to do heading into next season. If Abreu, you can't turn this around.
1: A 36-year-old declining player with back issues probably didn't help that the manager had him in the lineup all but five games through the first four and a half months of the season. You know, when you're in a close race, every incremental improvement helps. You know, sure, we all would have loved to have won that billion and a half Powerball last week or whenever that was. Um, and so as a fan of a team or an observer of a team, Hey, you love that big move. And why can't we just have a, a monster bat replace the crappy bat, you know, quarters and dimes add up over time to dollars. And so if you get a little bit better, a Breu to Singleton, um, if Diaz would get to catch some more relative to Maldonado, which is still just inexplicably ridiculous. Actually, it's explicably ridiculous. It's dusty. You know, if Pena can ratchet the OPS to where he was last year, which wasn't really good, but 713 is better than 680. Every little bit matters when you're trying to chase down the Rangers and fend off the Blue Jays, Mariners, uh, the Red Sox, the Astros have a chance to really put them to sleep over the next couple of weeks with them playing seven games. But, you know, the Astros go up next week to Fenway or a couple of weeks to Fenway and drop a series there. Red Sox somehow come down here and win three out of four. Boston, uh, suddenly is, is, uh, too close for comfort. Um, so, you know, it's anxious times looming potentially for the Astros, but as baseball fans, this is great. Uh, just having the, the two front, uh, war, if you will, to pursue day in, day out, every game is so much more important than when you're 11 games ahead in mid-August.
0: All right, gents, we hit on it. The injury bug bites again with Jose Abreu going down with some lower back pain. John Singleton gets his opportunity. He gets called up, makes an immediate impact. Three games in, guys showing a lot of patience, as we said, at the plate. If John's able to show any sort of semblance of being able to ha- you know, be a shadow of what they were hoping he would be when they drafted him all those years ago, uh, what does that mean? Because we know Dusty Baker always favors his veterans. John Singleton is, is, you know, by definition a veteran, maybe not as much major league experience as as Abreu, and certainly hasn't reached the heights of Abreu, but a lot of untapped potential there. And we've seen what Abreu has done for a big sample size now for this season. If John starts showing something, are we going to start seeing more of a meaningful timeshare at the first-base position, especially now that Dusty has an excuse?
1: I don't know that John Singleton is going to be a seven-week whirlwind phenomenon. Uh, The human nature baseball player story, I think, has been pretty well recounted at this point to any Astros fan who remembers him the first go-round. That's tremendous, but he never gets another hit after that two home run game Friday night, right? He'll still always have that night, and that's kind of a capper to, uh, to the comeback in some respects. Uh, but for the sake of the 2023 Astros, John Singleton, one of the base analytics, modern terms, is war. Wins above replacement player. A replacement player basically defined as an average guy from AAA in a pinch. If you had to replace a major leaguer with him, how would you fare? Well, Jose Abreu has been a negative war player this year. One of the worst players in baseball for his playing time, about the worst player in baseball, meaning that you could basically get an average AAA guy and you should be able to get a little more than Abreu's given the Astros. Well, Singleton, I think three for 14, a 214 batting average, but a two home run game, five walks drawn in his first five games. That's a hell of a lot better than the overall output for Abreu out of a typical five-game stretch of his schedule. So uh, Singleton should get some run. Granted, the Angels weren't exactly pitching Glavin, Maddox, and Smoltz over the weekend, (laughs) but you have to start somewhere. And Abreu's had plenty of bites at the apple against less than awe-inspiring pitching, and overall this season, save for that nice little stretch in June, things happen within 162 games. Abreu has been bottom-of-the-barrel lousy. So Singleton should have a little bit of runway. I doubt he's going to hit 275 and slug 525. But if his OPS is 700, it's a lot better than you got out of Abreu over the first hundred games and change.
2: No doubt. It, it's funny when you look at Abreu, he's he's actually been worse in the 23 games uh, in the second half after the All-Star break. If you look at his slugging and his batting average, you know, we didn't even think that would be a possibility, but here he is. So maybe it's the back. Maybe he gets a little bit better. But Dusty was asked about this, and he didn't really give much to it with there being a possible timeshare, just kind of saying, hey, you got to have a lot of experience. And, you know, we played to Bray U so much. Nobody else really has a lot of experience over there at first. And to Charlie's point, no team is getting less out of first base than the Astros are with the Bray U offensively. He's been that poor this this season. So I don't know. It's Dusty, though. He trusts his veteran players. So I think he's going to go right back to Abreu, like he, he goes right back to Maldi. And that's what hurts with Abreu because he's he got paid to hit. You know, Pena and Maldi, not so much. But Abreu, they need him to swing the bat. That's what they're paying him for. So, you know, you can complain about the other guys as much as you want, but Abreu is the thing that just sticks out like a sore thumb to me.
1: And heaven forbid come Thursday morning around witty podcasts or Houston workplace water coolers, chat rooms, wherever. Heaven forbid, people are saying, how about Yuli Gurriel coming up with seven hits in three games against the Astros?
0: Well, it's funny. When they were discussing – the possibility of Geiner Diaz getting some time at first base. Dusty was pretty dismissive of it, saying, you need a guy that can catch up there. And if a guy can't catch, then you're giving up runs. But a guy can catch, then you're saving runs. His he base position
1: is catcher. If the ball right. is thrown to him, right, we presume he'll catch the ball. And who and- can uses Jose Abreu with Keith Hernandez at first base?
0: No, but but to that point, why don't we keep that same energy when it comes to catching at the catcher position for a guy who your full time catcher is the guy who has the most passed balls in the major leagues? So it, it's it's weird not to keep that same energy there. Uh, but I, I just I find it funny where he talks about oh you you don't want to be experimenting uh, during the season. Isn't that every lineup Dusty runs out is like, hey, let's put Dubon at the leadoff. Hey, let's put Greg Kessinger at the leadoff. Hey, let's put Bly Madras at the leadoff. It seems like it's a constant case of experimentation of where's Pena going to bat this day. You just never know from day to day, series to series, where guys are going to hit except for the guys who were really struggling in a, you know, a guy like Jose Abreu, who seemingly was glued to the, the four hole for the longest time. Uh, And speaking of injuries, Phil Maton, he couldn't dodge a baseball, but he does dodge a bullet because he gets hit with that liner on the elbow, but apparently there's no structural damage. I just wonder, maybe this is a blessing in disguise. Uh, I, you know, kind of, to compare a little bit. The Yankees are kind of going through this. The Yankees are, you know, experiencing some injuries. They're seeing a lot more of the younger guys. And I think from a fan perspective, I think they're glad to see it because I think they knew what the results were going to be with the team that they were running out on the field. And so it's kind of been a blessing in disguise for them. Not quite that here, but certainly something needed to happen at first base. This injury, whether it's real or manufactured, is allowing that to happen. Phil Maton, he started out like gangbusters, but the Astros have been very reliant upon their bullpen and his performance has you know, dwindled over the past few games, or few weeks. Maybe this is good for him. Catch a breath, uh, get a little rest. I mean, uh, you don't want to get hit in an elbow to necessitate time off necessarily, but maybe this is good for him and maybe he'll come back stronger. That's just wishful thinking.
1: Oh, no, I don't think it's necessarily wishful thinking at all. Um, provided it is just a contusion and you need a little bit of swelling to go down, uh, whether Maton was just uh, having sold his soul to the devil levels of success through the first half of the season in some, so a regression to his mean. Um, but he'd been awful, uh, basically, over the, the last month or so. So if he can just use a, a refresh, a reset physically, mentally, whatever else you want to go, uh, I think there absolutely could be something to that.
2: Yeah, I think Montero is a guy where he was really starting to put it together. And then he comes in the other day and he starts having control problems again. Like we were maybe starting to turn the corner with him a little bit, but you know, we'll see once he loses it, he just kind of loses that release point.
1: Yeah. Uh, Montero from late June, I believe the 29th of June his ERA is right about two. So that's over 15 appearances. Now you walk three angels and you bring in Stanik with the bases loaded, not exactly Mr. Control, but Hey, he, he got the out. Uh, So Montero hasn't reclaimed the eighth inning role in which he excelled last year. And he's not, I don't think, going to get the opportunities uh, to do that. But if he can fit in as a a legit sixth, seventh guy, while Maton is down and you have Graveman now additionally, uh, Stanek somewhere in that mix behind Presley, Abreu, Neris, it's still a good deep bullpen.
0: And just to round off our discussion about injuries, Dana Brown says that Michael Brantley I don't know if you guys remember him or not. He used to be an Astros player. Uh, Michael Brantley could begin a rehab start as soon as next week. Honestly, I had stopped giving the Brantley updates on here because they were substantive. And Brian McTaggart said he stopped asking uh, Dusty Baker about Brantley because the updates would never change. They were never really substantive. Are you guys buying at all? What percentage are you putting on we could see Michael Brantley actually swing the bat again for the Astros and not just some Sugar sugarlight appearance.
1: Uh, I'll go straight 50-50 that he at least makes an appearance in an Astros game in the batter's box. Uh, but along with this now, what, about 14 months since he last played in the game? He's 36 years old. His power had already deteriorated. What kind of Michael Brantley are you going to get? just because he's in the lineup he's not going to be 300 hitting 375 on base just because um and it's the non-throwing shoulder but if he's in left field jordan's DHing. how are you going to work that out and if you want best defense on the field well then michael brantley is not going to be part of that uh you'd rather have jordan dh and myers i guess with mccormick in the outfield um I'm, I'm viewing Michael Brantley as a found $100 bill in the street. If I come up on one, Hey, that's fantastic, but I'm not building my day around finding one.
2: Yeah. I mean, we're just getting so late, you know, we're in the middle of August now to ramp him up, even if he's ready to come back to have like a quasi spring training. I don't know, Brandon, 20%. We see Michael Brantley back. I'm, I'm a little pessimistic on that until I actually see him. I'm not going to buy it.
1: Yeah. I'd say the number would be higher. As recently as three, four years ago when uh, the September roster expansion rules, which I always hated, but you you could have guys running up and down in the dugout and the clubhouse overflowing. You only get to add two players now to your active roster in September to take it from 26 to 28. Well, it's not as if the Astros have a bunch of prospects pounding on the door to join the roster in September. So one of those spots is, is right there for Michael Brantley if he's showing
0: anything without another setback, of course. Josh, you think you're pessimistic? watch this. I'm going to put it at 1% just because never say never, but I've, I've seen this before. I rarely do. I get fooled again. So, and let me just say 1% that's generous on my part. That's me literally just saying, never say never, because my real instinct is to say 0.000%. I I just don't see it. I hope I'm wrong. I hope he has a John Singleton-esque comeback in just as dramatic fashion. And hopefully it's just in time for the postseason because that would be the most Astros story ever is to get Michael Brantley back out of nowhere right before the postseason and then the Astros just roll again. That would be fantastic. Guys, let's move on to our last topic of the afternoon. It didn't take long for New York to start throwing mud as soon as JV leaves. A Met told the post Mike Puma that Verlander was a diva who was detached from his Mets teammates and complained about how the team's analytic department was not at the level as the one he worked with during his stint with the Astros. I can't say I'm surprised to hear that feedback, but uh, what do we think about this? Is it airing dirty laundry after a guy gets traded away? Sure seems like a bad look from a franchise of poor looks.
1: Well, it's dreamy New York tabloid material with which to work and covering actual current Mets games. Who wants a part of that? Uh, Scherzer and Verlander were not bosom buddies by any account, going back to their days with the Tigers. So whether older or more mature or with the mutual interest of making $43.33 million per year, and oh, by the way, ideally getting back deep into the playoffs while both pitching for the Mets, Um, You know, that was a professional marriage of convenience rather than, boy, it would be great if we could come and pitch together for the same team uh, later in our careers. Uh, So if Scherzer said that stuff, you know, I guess if he's being honest, he's being honest. If he was asked about it, I don't really see what he has to gain from it. Uh, To a certain extent, aren't they all divas? And at the highest levels, the rules aren't the same for superstars as they are for run-of-the-mill guys. And when you accomplish things and, and you have tenure... There are guys who get double locker space in the clubhouse. Um, Hey, you know, I want to meet some family. Can I catch up with the rest of the ball club tomorrow since I'm not pitching until Friday? Sure. A rookie pitcher? Get on the damn plane. Um, So I'm going to go with much ado about not much on this and all that matters about Justin Verlander for the rest of 2023 is how he pitches for the Astros.
2: I mean, I think it's fun. Now that Scherzer's with the Rangers, Verlander's with the Astros, they're going to you know they're going to face each other at some point i have to imagine that's going to be must see tv for me and and we should is- waive the designated hitter for that game so they <laughs> have to step into the batter's box against one another i like it but it's funny though we talk about divas scherzer was the first one to meet with ownership and the mets ownership said yeah we're probably going a different direction you know we're not going all in for this year and he's the one that demanded a trade first verlander was the second one so who knows if Verland would have even left if Scherzer wouldn't have been the one to to initiate that and get the ball rolling. But too many cooks in the kitchen, a couple alpha pitchers on the same team, they're getting paid the exact same amount of money. You know, I'm not surprised that, you know, he's a little prickly with them. It, it makes sense. But I don't know. I'm excited about it. The Verlander stuff, we heard about Correa or whoever it was reportedly that didn't want Verlander throwing out the first pitch. If there's any truth to that, maybe Verlander does rub some people the wrong way. It seems like a fine good pitcher to me doesn't bother me none but the Mets part is the best about how the analytics department not being as good with the Mets of course Verlander's gonna notice that he's been with the Astros for so long had so much success with Maldi catching for him you know whatever we want to say about Maldi Verlander thinks there's something to it with him helping call the pitches so I, I'm not surprised you get a little bit spoiled when you're with the Astros and then you go to other teams and see like, oh, th- I see why these guys haven't had any success. But I think it's a fun story. And I'm glad we're making a video about it. I want to see these guys face off later this season, see if maybe there's something to it. Roger Clemens,
1: last season with the Astros are road trips that he'd skip. I'm going to stay back and play golf. But when he took the ball every fifth day or every sixth day, and he pitched phenomenally. So it's just a sliding scale on this stuff. And where the Mets are concerned, it's about success and failure. And they're one of the most abysmal in-season flop failures we've ever seen. Right? When you're winning, what's that sense? Is that, is that poop? Huh, I'm getting a little whiff of lavender there. No, when you're terrible, it's poop and it's disgusting. And for all of New York, the Mets and Yankees closing hard – it's been one big, disgusting debacle of a baseball season. I can't wait till Aaron Rodgers underachieves with the Jets.
0: It's funny. You mentioned the Clemens example, because that was exactly the one I was going to go to, which was he didn't travel on the road if he wasn't scheduled to pitch when he played for Houston. And th- no one had a big deal with that. And they just understood that's Roger Clemens. We're lucky to have him on the team. He's on a discount. I think part of it though, is the Astros bad guy narrative. Like, okay verlanders he's back on the bad guys again new york doesn't have any feelings about the rangers so who cares you know about scherzer also interesting ryan clifford drew B- gilbert both get upgraded in the uh, top 100 list uh, as soon as they're traded away from houston so this narrative about oh the the mets didn't get you know either neither guy were in the top 100 all of a sudden both of them magically are in the top 100 once they've been traded to the mets so i just think part of it is the uh, media narrative Charlie, you touched on it. It's no fun talking about the results of the Mets games. So maybe getting some tabloid drama uh, stirred up is the better way to do it in a industry that is driven by clicks and engagement. I guess I can't blame them on that. And to
1: take it back down to Houston, you know, I don't think this is a diva S component And whether Justin Verlander was asked for input or offered input, the Astros rejiggering the rotation some this week, so Verlander gets to make a start on four days rest against the Marlins. Now, that's the plan the rest of the way. I think it's a bad plan to build it around Verlander going on four days rest. He's 40 years old, right? He missed the first month of this season injured. Uh, He was brilliant last season on four days rest in five starts. He was more brilliant on six days or more rest over seven starts. More often than not, he pitched on five days rest. Verlander, after the All-Star break, made one start on four days rest. That's when he popped the calf and went to the injured list. The Astros need to be very mindful. You know, we're all creatures of habit to some extent, and certainly Verlander with his routine, and he's meticulous, and he's been so brilliant. But you can also think, even though you're starting to run into some injury problems, end of the day... I'm Justin Verlander. I am invincible. I'm pitching well every fifth day. That's how I roll. Well, it's the job of management sometimes to tap even Justin Verlander on the shoulder and say, let's, let's slow that roll a little bit. And an extra day here, an extra day there. It worked pretty well for you overall in compiling that 175 earned run average.
2: Yeah, no doubt. And it's interesting that Frombert is going to be pitching on normal rest here with uh, Javier that, you know, they they've skipped Hunter Brown. You know, Fromber and Javier have not been good in their last seven starts. If anybody looks like they could use a little bit of rest, I, I think it'd be one of those guys. But yeah, Verlander has been good and is limited, you know, pitching uh, starts in the last couple of years on four days' rest. But Charlie's right. He's an older pitcher. He, he, you know, you, you can't let him make these calls. There's a reason there's managers and there's players. And sometimes you got to save a guy from himself. But I think it's pretty smart. The JP France thing worked. You know, he helped you out in that piggyback uh appearance last week and then he was brilliant again yesterday hunter brown they're, they're just trying to take some innings off of hunter brown and jp france which i think is the wise thing to do
0: it is and, and we didn't even talk about it we've we're coming to the end of the show and we did not even talk about it but you know tip of the cap if i was wearing one josh you're wearing one you have to tip it for me to jp france because dude's just been uh, you talk about found money charlie uh you know for them to again you you lose you know Garcia for the year, and we talk about that balancing act where it seems like when one guy goes down, you've you've got somebody ready to step up. JP France as unheralded as it gets in the system, and then just steps up and looks to be a true bona fide major league starter. So they have I don't know where they would be this season without him, uh, especially with Arquidi. Uh, you know, going down and and missing so much time who are, you know, we haven't mentioned him or key. looked better uh, in his latest start. So hopefully that continues for them. And hopefully JP France continues to be just stellar because dude has been a a complete godsend for that team. And uh, that's going to do it. And that's the bottom line because Stone Cold said so. Another episode's in the books. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to give us a five star rating wherever you get your podcast. Charlie, Josh, and I will catch you again next week, but you don't have to wait that long because you know, John Granado, Josh, Lance Zerline, they've got you covered on the Sports Map Houston channel. All you got to do is just subscribe to that channel and uh, catch all of the news and videos that we got going on throughout the week. And then remember, if you're driving around in your car, Looking for something to listen to on your radio dial. It's ESPN 97.5, 92.5. They've got you covered in Houston. And thanks to everyone for listening as always. And until next time, go Stroves.